continuation of last week's sermon that I didn't quite finish up. Um, And it's answering the question, what is the dominion that God has called us to? And how are we supposed to be image-bearing God in that dominion? Because God has ultimate dominion over all things. He is Lord over all things. And we are vice-lords, viceroys, vice-commanders, vice-kings, vice-priests, vice-prophets of God. So, I'm going to read again God's blessing and, and command to us through Adam. This is Genesis 1. should be a familiar text now. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Let's pray to God. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that you have delighted to make us in your image. We pray that we would bear it well. In Christ's good name, amen. So we talked about the kingly office of God, the prophetic office of God, how those are portrayed in Jesus and how we are supposed to reflect those things as kings and as prophets. And now this week, the culmination of those things is priesthood, the lordship of Jesus, the dominion of God, and prophet, priest, and king. Um, when we think of the way God interacts with us on those, in those ways, uh, we don't want to compartmentalize things. So we don't want to just think God is a king, God is a prophet, God is a priest, so Jesus is a king, Jesus is a prophet, Jesus is a priest. And act as though those aren't all meshed together. Um, They are all the time true of Jesus. And they are all the time true of us. So Jesus was not a king, and then a prophet, and then a priest. Jesus was a prophet, priest, and king all the time. And we are prophets, priests, and kings all the time. We are always speaking, we are always subduing, and we are always bringing people to God as priests. And now we are doing a good job at those things, or a bad job at those things, but those things are always true of us. And when we think of those different aspects of of who Jesus was, and how we are made in his image, and that going all the way back to this first week we started talking about image bearing, that Jesus has restored in us the image that we broke with sin. And that all the time, Christians, we are supposed to be coming back into the image of Christ. This is Romans 8, 
that we are supposed to be being made into the likeness again of Jesus. So he is a king, he is a prophet, he is a priest. So priesthood really is um, the ultimate thing that those two other things were pointing to. Um, So kingship, the fact that Jesus is the Lord, excuse me, of heaven and earth and rules all those things. The fact that he is a prophet, the fact that he's speaking truth about who he is and what he has done. And the fact that we subdue the earth and that we speak those same words about Jesus and who he is and what he has done. It has a purpose. It has a point. And that point is to bring us back into fellowship with God. I'm thinking back to Adam and Eve. And after the fall, there is this unbelievable thing that is said in Scripture. I think so anyway. After this all happened, oops, sorry. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They heard the sound of the Lord walking. None of us have ever heard that sound. And they not only heard it, but they recognized it because they immediately hid themselves when they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the cool of the garden. That is really an unbelievable thing. That God dwelt in such intimacy with Adam and Eve in the garden that they recognized the sound of him walking Now think about this. You know your houses, some of you have houses that don't squeak. For the rest of us, we have houses that do make noises, depending on where we're at. Right? And if we have many feet in the home, we will begin to be able to tell them apart by the way they make the house squeak and sound. Right? So my little girls, you would think it would be Amos, but it's actually my little girls who are the loudest stomping through the house. They think it's the great game to see how hard they can smash their feet against the floor. And so you know. I mean, when if we're out in the living room and our children get up, either it, when they're supposed to be in bed or when it's okay for them to get up in the morning, uh, we know who's coming before we ever see them, right? Now, if you... That idea, right, that's fairly intimate. If you were in my home, you would have no clue who was coming by the sound of their feet. You would just think one of my crazy kids is coming barreling down that hallway, and I hope I'm not in its way. But I know who it is. I hear the sound, and I know, because my knowledge of my children is intimate. It's intimate. And it doesn't sound like anything else. Adam and Eve knew the sound of the Lord walking and recognized it. Now, we have no idea what that sound was. There's a song, right? And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. We don't know what that is. Adam and Eve knew. 
None of their children knew. Cain and Abel, Seth, they did not know what that sound was. They probably heard it described by their parents when they told them, this is what happened on the day that we ate of it. We were there and we heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden. And you can just see like little Abel and Cain. What did that sound like? What did it sound like when God was walking? And then Adam and Eve having to try to explain to them this impossible thing of what the sound of the Lord walking in the garden was. We will hear and know the sound of the Lord walking with us again. We will hear and know it. That is unbelievable to me. Because now, right, we don't know in that sort of intimate way. Now, we have things that help us now. The Spirit helps us to know God. and helps us in our weakness and helps us to believe what is invisible and can't be seen. And by faith, we believe it. But we don't know it yet. One day we will. We will know what that sound was that Adam and Eve heard. And we won't hide. I can't even describe how thinking about this over the last week has just made me hope, hopeful for the very end of all things. When everyone who knows the Lord, we will together, all of us go, did you hear him coming? Do you hear him coming? He's coming this way. And we will know what that is. I think of it very similarly to the way the apostles wrote, especially John in his first letter. This we declare to you concerning the word of life, which we have looked at and we have touched and we have seen with our eyes. We're trying to tell you what this is, but we can't explain it all. You didn't touch him. You didn't hear him. We don't know what the tenor of his voice was. We don't know if it was like high-pitched like me or dulcet, deep tones like Rick. I can't even do it. We don't know where in the spectrum of his voice that it was. We don't know what his accent was. We don't know what words sounded like coming out of his mouth. They did. They knew. We will know. And that is ultimately our hope. We will once again dwell with God. That's the hope of priesthood. That's really what priesthood is all about. Introducing the hope that we will know God. And interceding for people that they will know God. And preparing people to know God. That intimate. When you think about what this sort of thing is all through scripture... And it's referred in many different ways what this hope of God's people is, what the priesthood is aiming for. In the Old Testament, a lot of times it was spoken of as a rest. The promised land was a rest that awaited the people of God. And if they would have taken dominion over it as kings, and they would have declared the things God had said, they would have dwelt with God eternally there. Now, we can get into all kinds of debates about what that means, but we do have some picture of it. Because at the Exodus, when they built the tabernacle and they had the Ark of the Covenant, there's this unbelievable thing that happened that we just kind of float right over. 
God dwelt with his people visibly again for 40 years as a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. That every day for 40 years, you woke up in the middle of the night and you opened your tent to go to the bathroom. And there, in the midst of the camp, burning above the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant, the flame bearing the image of God as a reminder that He is with us, that His glory is here. And so they knew something that we don't. What does the fire and the cloud look like? What did it sound like? What did it smell like? Was it scentless? We don't know. We weren't there. But something intimate happened there, didn't it? Something that we have not yet experienced. That God was with the people of Israel there. That there was a real tangible presence. And then what happens? Years later, Ichabod. The glory has departed. The glory departed. The presence of the Lord departed. It no longer dwelt in flame and fire. It was gone. Now there's lots of history in between those two moments that we don't have time to cover this morning. The rest of God's people was with God in the promised land. That was their hope. And it's our hope. Right? This is Hebrews. Hebrews, if you want to understand what the priesthood of Jesus was, the book of Hebrews is the place to understand it. Um, it is the theme of Hebrews. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith. With those who listened. That faith. Faith was just as important to the Israelites as it is to us. That they would have. In some manner that we can't know. Because it didn't happen. Have entered into the rest of God. In the promised land. But they were not united by faith. To that hope of eternal rest. And it still stands. There is a rest to which we are going. And so Jesus. Didn't just. Die so that we could be forgiven. He didn't just live a righteous life so that we could be made righteous. He did those things to a further end. That he and us would dwell together. That we would be together again. In a way that none of us quite know yet. We know it in part. Then we will know it fully. This is our hope. This is the goal of priesthood. This is what Jesus did as our faithful high priest. He not only opened the way by forgiving our sins through his death, 
and rising again and giving us his righteousness. But we get to go, even now, in a spiritual sense, into the throne room of God. Right? This is further on in Hebrews. For Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. He's there, he's there, and because he is there, pleading on our behalf, we can enter the throne room of grace. We can go to God. We can be with God. He is with us by the power of his spirit, even now. And that is the whole point of all these things. That the reason those outside of Christ can't ever fulfill dominion isn't because they can't build and do amazing things. I mean, if you want to read about what someone without the Lord can do, read about someone like Bill Gates. It's unbelievable what that man has done. Does not love the Lord. Is not a Christian. Bill Gates has done enormous things for the social and, and, and physical welfare of the people of this earth. He, has, he will, basically, in the next five to ten years, eradicate one of the largest killers of people in the world. Did you know this? Bill Gates, almost single-handedly through his money, has funded the eradication of malaria in Africa. It's been one of the biggest killers for centuries. And he, through his foundation, is probably going to succeed in eradicating it. And yet Bill Gates, as much as that is an expression of kingly dominion, subduing the earth, has never spoken prophetic words of good and has never led anyone to God. And so therefore has failed to bear the image of God well, even though he did part of it well. We are not left to just do part of it as a Christian. Our job is not just to work hard and then die, to do good and then die, to be happy and then die. That's kingly dominion that any pagan can do, and many have. Lots of people who don't know the Lord can work hard and achieve great things. They can, they can subdue the earth in ways that you and I could never think or do. Geniuses who have lived throughout the world, who have done unbelievable things. But if they're not prophetically speaking the words of God and seeking to lead people into communion and fellowship with him with the goal of seeing and knowing him, they have not been good image bearers of the dominion that God has given to us and the dominion that Christ has. Because Christ's kingdom is not just physical. It is spiritual. We know this in a lot of ways, but one of the most basic ways we know this is that you and I are not just physical. We're not just bodies. We're not just flesh. We're not just cells. We're not just atoms. We're not just DNA. We're flesh and blood and souls, eternal souls. 
And though death splits us apart, eternity, when Christ returns, we will be reunited with our bodies. That alone is enough to say that it doesn't, like, kingly dominion is not all there is. Bill Gates isn't a success and image-bearing. We have to do more. We have to declare the words of God, and we have to seek to lead people to God. If we think about what it means to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, we'll also think about this. So if we are fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with people who don't love God, we have not succeeded in being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth. Because if the earth is full of people who hate God, it is not good. We know this specifically because Genesis 6 is that story. The earth was full of people that hated God and God destroyed the earth and all that were in it. We are to not just be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth with people, but with God-bearing image bearers. I mean... How did I say that? People who bear the image of God well. We are to make priests of all people who can enter into the throne room of God with him and dwell with him forever. We have a great high priest who has done the work for us. It used to be in the Old Testament, there was one high priest and then a bunch of regular priests. And the regular priest every day would offer your sin offering, your tithe offering, your guilt offering, whatever you had to offer, you would have just a normal everyday priest. You would come, he would slaughter, he would burn, he would do whatever he needed to do. He'd sprinkle every day, 364 days a year, regular priests every day, sacrificing, doing the things, lighting the incense, putting out the showbread, lighting the candelabra, One day a year, the high priest would come. And one day a year was Yom Kippur, right? The Day of Atonement. And on that day, the high priest would go not just into the regular holy place, where there was the table of showbread and the candelabra and the altar of incense, but into the most holy place, where the Ark of the Covenant dwelt, where God's very presence was. And he would have to first cleanse himself by ritually slaughtering a bull and going through a sacrifice for his own sin. And then he would take two goats and one he would place his hands on and basically say a prayer and said, may all the sins of God's people be on your head. And then they would send that goat out of the camp, away from them. They would send the sin away. And then the other, the other one they would take and they would slaughter as a sacrifice for sin, for the atonement that was necessary. And then with that blood, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and he would sprinkle it with blood. One time a year, one man. Christ has entered into the throne room of God, not on earthly terms like we just read. I just read this. He didn't go into the earthly tabernacle. He went into the real throne room of God and presented himself, the slaughtered lamb. And he said, my blood 
is once for all. And now my brothers and sisters can freely come into this place. They can freely come into this place. We have an unbelievable reality before us. That the Old Testament priests, most of them never got to enter the throne room of God on earth. 99% of them never got to enter the throne room. We get to go now with our brother Christ into the heavenly throne room. That is unbelievable. That is unbelievable. When we think of what it means to be priests of God, that is what it is. We have now entered into a communion and fellowship with God that is indescribably good and only gets better when we die or when he comes back. It only gets better. This is the the point of kingly dominion and prophetic dominion, that we would have priestly dominion. That all the earth should be filled with the glory of the Lord, reflected in the faces of his children who love him. This is the something that we we I was hinting at is this idea of seeing God. So this is one of our hopes, probably the greatest hope. See what kind of love that the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when that happens, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is going to see the Lord. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies him as he is pure. Now, in the scripture we read a few different times that no one has ever seen God. And yet there are places in scripture that seem to contradict this. Um, Jacob wrestles with God physically, somehow. Abraham Speaks with God. Moses sees God, the back of him, the glory of him, in the cleft of the rock. Adam and Eve dwelt with God. And so what does it mean when no one has seen God? Well, more than likely, this is difficult to flesh out in a minute, but more than likely when people in the Old Testament and in the New See God, it is the Son, either the pre-incarnate Jesus or the incarnate Jesus. So either Jesus, before he became a man, dwelling with his people as God, or Jesus, after he became a man, in his physical form, after that. That's probably how we reconcile those things. But here is something else. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. And then here is the priesthood that we bear. 
No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. What does that mean? God's love abides in us and his love is perfected in us. It means that if we love one another, people will see God. Not the infinite, unknowable, spiritual form of God, but they will see God in what we do. This is, again, reiterated in how Jesus talks. This is, again, John, the same, same guy writing. I do not ask, this is Jesus' high priestly prayer. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. That's us. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That Jesus, when he was on earth, manifested God in a real tangible way by the things he did and said. So that people would believe that he was the Son of God, so that they might have eternal life with God. He prays that prayer for us, that we may be one with him just as he was one with the Father. In mind, in in movement, in thought, in deed. That we, as priests unto God, display him to people. By our deeds, by our words, and by bringing them and praying for them to be in the throne room with God. There's lots of things that Old Testament priests did. They said prayers, which I'm going to include under prayers, both blessings and petitions. And they acted out physically the love of God for people by sacrificing. You could basically subsume the whole priesthood in those two things, prayers and sacrifice. Now think, Jesus, the Son of God, Prayers and sacrifice. His whole life was one of sacrifice from beginning to end. Not because the end wasn't important and the actual crucifixion didn't matter, but because he says he left the glory that he knew and became like one of us. That it was a sacrifice just for him to be born a man, to dwell with us, to bear with the infirmities of flesh. Sacrifice his whole life. And prayers, both blessings and petitions. That's the whole life of Christ. We are to be imitators of that so that people might see God, know God, and believe in him. That our lives are to be made up of sacrifice, and God calls us to it over and over in the scriptures, and full of prayer, both blessings and petitions for other people and for ourselves. That these two marks are the marks of priesthood, And then their final point, they're the the whole reason we have dominion in other areas. For spiritual dominion. We are spiritual and not just physical. And if all we do is work hard, we fail to be good image bearers of God. But if we work hard, as unto the Lord, in our kingly dominion, and if we declare God to the world in our prophetic dominion, 
we will have hope that we will succeed in the priestly dominion. And those three things are how we image Jesus, how we image God to the world. That when God said, let them have dominion over the earth and subdue it, he didn't just mean become farmers. Um, There's lots of things in the Hebrew scripture that are difficult to understand. Um, But when God says... That. I can't find it. When he says to work it and to subdue it, that those two words elsewhere in Scripture are, um, I should have written this one down. Man, I shouldn't have went on this tangent if I didn't have it written down. Uh, anyway, they have to do with how we worship God. Those two words. They can mean physical work or they can mean worship. They can mean obedience to God or they can mean... Uh, subduing the earth. And that what really was happening when God gave Adam dominion over the earth was he was installing Adam as the vice king, the vice prophet, and the vice priest of the people that that God would give to Adam. And we are to be the same. Let us think about this. Let us think about every day what dominion making is and how we are supposed to be subduing the earth to God's rule and reign. It's not enough to just work hard and die. It's not enough to work hard and to declare God's words and die. We are to be image-bearing in every way. We are to be interceding and dying on behalf of other people so that they might know God and see Him the way we do. That they might get to enter into the rest that awaits. That they might get to enter into the throne room of God. And that they, with us, might know the sound of the Lord walking. Just as we know the sound of one another. I'm going to pray very quickly and then we're going to take communion together. Um, Father, we are very grateful for you. We pray, Father, that you would press this into our hearts. That we would be those who desire to be with